You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Well, good morning and Happy New Year. Good morning. I'm so glad you're here, whether it's your first time, whether it's your 158th time, or if it's your first time in a long time. We have a lot of folks, uh, sort of a homecoming this morning, a lot of people who used to be here uh, and when they were in school are back with us today. Next week, we'll hear from Jenny Tate. Where's Jenny? I saw her over there earlier. Oh, yeah, all the way from Australia. We'll be hearing from her in the prayer time. So be sure to be here next week. Now, if you're here at 10 o'clock next week, you're going to be early for the second service. We're going to have go back to two services next Sunday morning. And so 9 o'clock, 1045, look forward to seeing you as we are a little bit into the new year. So Christmas is over. Are you happy about that or not? Yeah. Somewhere, I love Christmas, and somewhere about a week before Christmas, I'm thinking, oh, I really wish that we would be going on for another month or so. And then right after Christmas, something clicks, and I'm ready to move on in a big way. And it turns out that New Year's Day is one of my favorite holidays of the year, and I think you know why. It's because this is the year. This is the year that I'm finally going to get it right I'm going to do all the things that I plan to do in years gone by. But this year is going to be different. It's like being a North Carolina Tar Heel football fan, you know. This is the year, but it never is. There, there's something quite encouraging about the idea of a new start. But since performance-based legalism tends to be our default position, we are in danger. There is danger in the sort of resolutions that many of us make at this time of the year. You know, the the common ones, go to the gym, eat a lot better, lose weight, be willing to share my clothes with my sister, or even worse, with my mother. Now, I'm speaking as like a 13, 14-year-old girl, you know. You know what I mean. Stuff that might happen during the first week of the year becomes a struggle to maintain as the month wears on, and much less so as the year, or more so as the year wears on. So, therefore, with one of the great segues of all times, let's talk about sanctification. This morning, we're going to talk about sanctification. What, so, what do you expect? Boring confusing, perhaps a loose definition will help. It's not going to be on the screen, but sanctification is a work of God's grace. It is the doctrine doctrine that describes the work of Christ and the Holy Spirit in setting believers apart from the world as beloved children and servants of the Lord, conforming them into the image of Christ for service in the kingdom of God for his glory. Now, one of the things that I'm going to talk about this morning is that this life as believers is a long-term thing. If there are things, and so it is in our understanding and growth in Christ, if there are things that don't make sense to you this morning, 
just put it aside and then and and then the Holy Spirit will apply it to your heart in the right time. But in the same way that we're just justified by faith and we're taken out of Adam and put into Christ, sanctification is the, the work in which God separates us from the world. He sets us apart for his service and then he brings us more and more into the image of Christ in a Romans 8 kind of way. All things are working together. God's got a plan. He chose us to be in his family. He's justified us, and now he's sanctifying us. He's making us more like Christ. And then one day, we're going to be glorified. All three of these things have already happened, and they're still happening and going to happen. But primarily, justification is when we get saved. Sanctification is this life. And one day, so that we can stand in God's presence, we're going to be glorified. We couldn't stand in his presence otherwise. We'd be way worse off than John was on the Isle of Patmos when he saw Christ, his best friend, Christ's best friend on earth, and he fell as one dead. So sanctification is a big deal. We could just say spiritual growth. The Holy Spirit is doing a work in my life to make me more like Jesus. So if the Holy Spirit is in charge of me, then all I have to do is just kind of sit there and he does the work, right? We don't have to do anything. Well, no, that's not right at all. We are called to strive for holiness in Hebrews 12, 14. And we are called to let our good works confirm that we have faith, James 2. And we're called to live as though we were saved by grace through faith. And even though we're not saved by good works, we were created for good works in Christ which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them, Ephesians 2. We do all of this, though, in the Lord's strength, not our own. It's much like our salvation. We are responding to God's call. We're yielding to him. So, again, if none of that made sense. Maybe this will. If your mindset about good and evil in the world is that you just need to be good enough to get the big promotion at the end of life, then you're among the majority who strive to only just to have enough good works on their resume to make it into heaven when the time comes. There's good news. You'll never have an... No, wait a minute. That's the bad news. You'll never have enough good works, but Jesus, God's Son did have enough good works. And when he died for us, when we believe, his righteousness becomes our righteousness. When we call out on the, to the Lord to forgive us of our sins because of the, our acknowledgement of our sin and because of what Jesus did on the cross for us, then we will be saved. Since our hope is in Jesus rather than in good works, why then are we called to good works? It's a because sort of a thing rather than a so that sort of a thing, if it makes sense. When you were in first grade, you might 
have done chores to earn your allowance. When you're a teenager, well, who knows what goes on in the mind of a teenager? I don't even know what went on in my mind, so we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that. But when you're an adult and you come home as an adult with your own family to your parents' house, most likely you get up after dinner and you do the dishes and you take care of chores that your parents didn't get to. Why? Because you love them. Respect them. You know all that they've done for you. And it's your heart's desire to serve them as they have served you. That's the sort of love that prompts us to these good works. We love him because he first loved. Perhaps today's text, which is Philippians 3, 1 to 14, is written in the spirit of Colossians 1, 29. For this, for this reason, I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Am I working? Yeah, I'm doing the work. I'm working hard to please the Lord. I want to please the Lord. Is it because I'm such a good guy? No, it's because of what he's done for me. And my efforts are energized by the Lord, or it's his energy working powerfully in me. So Philippians 3, 1 through 14 is our text. Won't be a careful exposition, but we'll get enough of a sense of understanding to see how this works for us in this new year. It's our custom to stand as the scripture is being read. So if you would, please stand for the reading of God's word. I will be reading from the English Standard Version. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. This is how we know Paul was a preacher. He says, finally, and he's only halfway through with his letter. You know What, what this means, of course, is now for the rest of what I wanted to talk about this we're getting on to moving on to that. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things for you is no trouble for me. It is, and it is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God in glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. It's quite a claim. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, 
but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. It's that righteousness of his that allowed him to be the perfect sacrifice. And we, when we are transferred from Adam into Christ, as we've talked about these last several years, then it's because of what he has done. Nothing good in us, but only because of his grace and mercy. And all of this has happened, he says in verse 10, that I may know him, and it's my heart's desire to know him, and the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him, in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have, no, I'm sorry, I just read that. Um, no, yes, verse 13. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The word of God for the people of God. Thank you. Be seated. Well, I'm certain that I preached Philippians 3 as a New Year's sermon at least once. I know for once for sure, but probably twice, maybe even three times. It was not verse 14 that caught my attention this year, but rather the end of verse 12. Part of it being because I've read it in different translations and I didn't see it exactly this way, but it really stuck out to me. Not that I have already gotten to the place that I want to get, or that I'm already perfect, but I press on to make this life my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Why do I strive to please the Lord so I can be a better me? That's what most New Year's resolutions are all about, right? Be a better you. Do I strive him so that I can strive to please him so that I can feel better about myself? Well, both of these things will probably end up being true, but that can't be the motivation. I'm not seeking perfection. I will not be perfect until I stand before Jesus, but I'm striving to please the Lord because Jesus has made me his own. In view of the entire text, and even a little bit beyond. Here are three spiritual decisions we need to make for 2023 instead of the self-help style resolutions that we're most often drawn to. Beginning with, put no confidence in any part of yourself that is not controlled by Jesus. In Philippi, legalized... Uh, legalizers tortured members of the church by saying, it's good that you Gentiles have come to know the Jewish Messiah. Oh, it's so good. Now come into the family of Israel. Come under the umbrella of Israel. And you must be circumcised in order to do that because, you know, there is Jesus, but there's also the law. And you have to do everything that the law commands. So you're going to have to change your diet. That's okay, though. You're part of a new 
Israel. Paul wasn't interested in a new Israel. He understood that Gentiles were being brought into God's covenant family. It was not a new family, but rather an expanded family because of Jesus. And while the moral law remained in place, the ceremonial, civil, sacrificial systems, that those had all been done away with in Jesus. He met all the requirements of the law on our behalf. Paul understood that when you add anything to grace for salvation, you eliminate grace altogether. Grace plus nothing equals salvation. Or Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. Jesus plus anything else equals condemnation. And so no wonder Paul was so strong in his rebuke of those who preached a false gospel. And he said, look, they want to talk about Israel. I can hang with the best of them. <clears throat> You're an Israelite. I'm a Benjamite. I can tell you the tribe that I was born into. <clears throat> you remember the only tribe that went with Judah, the people of God, when the kingdom split. You're proud because you follow the law of Moses? I was blameless in all external matters of food and sacrifice and ceremonial laws. Paul was not only born into the right family, he achieved much as a zealous Pharisee. What did that mean to him? Nothing. Less than nothing. To Paul, all his accomplishments were rubbish. So in what or in whom is your hope? In Jesus? Yes, 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 absolutely. But where else do you find significant meaning? In singing the national anthem loudly? Or in refusing to sing the national anthem at all? Is it your knowledge of and participation in the culture that most appeals to you in the place where you find meaning? Family heritage? Wealth? Is your identity in your intellect or your commitment to criticizing those who are blessed with more intelligence than yourself? Perhaps you're confident in your physical condition or your appearance, or your athletic abilities. There is nothing wrong with, with almost all of these pursuits. There are so many good things in life, and we ought to have purpose and meaning in life, but we ought to understand it as the purpose and meaning that God has built into us in his plan for our lives and for the kingdom. Now, I can only answer these questions honestly when I am able to answer the question, what do I think of Jesus? Do you remember when you were first saved or, or you surrendered your life, whether it was early in life or later in life? I mean, he was everything to you. He surely was to me. Jesus was everything when I got saved 
at 18. And I don't know what it is about these recent months. I'm just thinking about the mercy of the Lord and how he kept me from destruction. I was on this incredible path of destruction and he redeemed me and set me on solid ground and gave me a new purpose and meaning in life. But as the years go by, the temptation is to find our identity in being one who is worthy enough. That's why we put so much effort into changing ourselves, especially during the first week of January. There's a better way, though, and it's the focus of our second point. Pursue intimacy with Jesus. When we find ourselves close to the Savior, I suspect it is like so much of the Christian life is more Him pursuing us than it is us pursuing Him. Even so, we the decisions that we make about how we're going to spend our time and where we're going to focus our thought and attention <clears throat> shape the trajectory of our lives. And so David, having been here all these years, knew that you would hear more about spending time in the Word. Have you decided to read through the Bible this year? I hope you have. I, I just said something really off the cuff this, this um, summer, and several people said how much it meant to them, so I think I should repeat it about my Bible reading. Reading through the Bible in a year can be so intimidating. I mean, my goodness, it's, uh, it takes you 15 minutes a day to do that, and who's got 15 minutes a day? But believe me, you miss two or three of those days and you're in a world of hurt. So I understand how intimidating it can be, and especially when you're doing the bagats and, the, and, and, and all the ceremonial laws and the dimensions of the tabernacle. Look, there's a, there is a lot of stuff where there are those long lists that I skim. I don't mean I pass it by, but I read it very quickly. I just, you know, kind of move along. And if I'm... Not if, if, if I have lost concentration, I say, oh, man, i got to go back. I decide, eh, you know what, I'm going to be doing this next year. And so I just keep going. And it makes it a less, less intimidating. But whatever it is it takes to help you make the decision to read through the Bible in a year, it's all part of the understanding that this life isn't about the little moments of decisions. In fact, as Mike Calhoun always says, Decisions don't change your life. They only change your direction. Discipline changes your life. So one of the most important things is to be in the Word. And maybe there are other ways that you've decided, I'm going to be in the Word this year. But reading through the Bible puts you there all the time. And things just jump out at you like Two passages just jumped out of me. I've never seen it before in Malachi where he's talking about him, God saying he hates divorce. He said, did I not make you one flesh and put a portion of my spirit in you? Like, how have I never seen that before? Maybe I have. Maybe we got other issues going on here. But, I mean, I've read it for sure. But you see something Every single year when you're reading through the Word, 
that the Lord just captures your heart and your imagination. You will find Jesus everywhere in Scripture, and you'll get a much broader picture of Jesus. You'll see him in the whole rather than finding him in bits and pieces. Now, you might have seen on Faith Life that Ricky Lee will be leading a group of guys who have committed to read through the Bible this year. So if you're a husband, a father, single, young man, teenager, I would encourage you to join this group. One of the benefits of reading through Scripture every year is that you grow in your understanding that this life is not about the latest post or your successes or even your failures. This is a lifelong pursuit. And God's path often takes off in a different direction than you anticipate. It's true whether our lives be long or short, but the reality, the, the, the reality that we don't know how many days we have adds urgency to the routines of our life. Routines like reading the Bible, like praying every day, like coming together to church. So I don't say this very often, but I'll make a plug today. Don't miss church unless you have to. Be here. Be here. This is a routine that we'll think a little more deeply about in a few moments. And it's an important routine. It's an important part of our sanctification, of our spiritual growth. This year, Commit to pursuing Jesus. Eternity has already begun for us, but what we believe and pursue in this life has meaning for the ages. That's a little bit of interpretation of the text you can figure out later. We should read the heart of our text one more time because it's so important. And then think a few minutes about verse 10. Beginning in verse 7. But whatever gain I had, and Paul had many, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his joyful, glorious, great, wonderful things that happen. No, that I may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This was not the Apostle Paul saying, you know, I've been thinking about how much better Jesus' righteousness is than mine, so I'm going to give it a try. He was 
wholly given over to trusting Jesus' righteousness rather than his own. One of the kinder translation for rubbish of his own achievements is foul-smelling street garbage. But Jesus' righteousness, Jesus' perfection is mine as a believer. No wonder Paul says in verse 10 that he desires above all to know Jesus intimately. But then he quickly adds that to be like Jesus is to suffer with him and be raised with him. Jesus' resurrection has already put God's eschatological plan into motion. We will be resurrected, and there's a sense we, were, we died with him, we were raised with him. We will be resurrected in full, though, body along with soul and spirit and brought into the very presence of our Savior where we will worship and commune with him forever. So just a word about suffering. There's a lot of it going around in our body, and it's not just those that you would understand at this stage of life would have suffering. You might think that whatever sort of suffering you are experiencing, whatever weakness, whatever malady that you have, it's unkind and it's unfair. Whether it's physical pain and or limitations, relationships that are broken, the lack of ability on your part to be who you want to be or do what you want to do. These are only a few categories of suffering. You might consider the suffering that you are enduring rather than being a sign of God's displeasure or correction or just general meanness is in fact a part of his beautiful plan for you to humbly receive intimacy with Jesus that is otherwise unattainable in this life. Rest in Him. Delight in Him. If everything else in life is truly secondary, our best commitment is to rest in the life That God has given us. Even when pain. Physical. Emotional. Mental. Whatever. Even if pain. Is a prominent feature of his plan. Rest. Anyway. And pursue Jesus. The last decision necessary for a godly 2023 is this. Press toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. If sanctification is the work of the Holy Spirit, conforming us more and more into the image of Jesus, then it is the language of, I'm straining to win the prize that that throws us. Our striving is not for the purpose of, so that Jesus will make me his own, but because Jesus has made me his own when he could 
and according to a holy and righteous God should have condemned me. And if that's the case, I will strain every fiber of my being to please him. I will forget what is behind and press on toward what is before me. This, from Paul's example, is the Christian version of no regrets or leaving it all on the field. It's tricky, though, because this life that we live and the prize that we pursue is unlike worldly pursuits. So this year, in addition to setting any other goals that you have begun at midnight on this day, consider pursuing Jesus in these following ways, all of which are implicit in the text, even if they are not arranged in this way. First, humility. Paul's determination to put his name <clears throat> To Jesus' resume, rather than present his own accomplishments, should, should speak volumes to us. If anybody was worthy, Paul was. You hear people say things like, if anybody's a good Christian, it's at Gary Stevens. He's a good Christian. Well, he is. But it's not because Gary Stevens is such a, a noble guy. It's because of what Jesus has done for and through him. We absolutely ought to strive to be the best at whatever God gives us to do. So don't think of that. What I was saying is be lazy or just don't give attention to your job. Be the best you can possibly be at whatever the Lord has called you to do. But we need to remember that Jesus' glory is more important even than doing a good job or being recognized as the smartest, best looking, most athletic, wise, you get the point. It's never a bad thing to be in a place where you have no option but to be humble. I like saying that. I don't like living it, you know, when it comes. I mean, we can rail against the injustices that have been done to us or demand better treatment. But sometimes the Lord has put us in that very spot for the purpose of helping us to be humble. And when we are humble, we learn to depend on his grace for our lives as we seek to give God glory in our, not in our strengths, although we give glory to God there too, but in our weaknesses. Oh, I could be so much better if it weren't for, no, that's the very thing. It's the very thing that's glorifying God. Second, love. Not your version of love, certainly not the world's version of love, but biblically based and empowered love. Such love is only possible if the love of Christ flows through us. And we cannot know such love apart from intimacy. With the Savior. It's just guesswork otherwise. And not only that, it's really embarrassing because it's guesswork when we're certain we know what it is and we really don't. And we reveal ourselves to not really know true love. Paul loved the Philippians enough to call out false doctrine, false teachers in a very direct manner. He also loved them enough to help bring perspective to their suffering and to gently help them along 
or get along with one another, which, although is not in our text, is in the larger context of Philippians. In, in verses 13 and 14, Paul says, Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on. We cannot move forward in the way God designed us to move if we're always thinking about our achievements, or if we're thinking about the ways that others have wronged us, or the ways in which we can finally be noticed. And that's the natural bent of all of us. We're called to love one another, forgive one another, even as Christ has forgiven us. That's what next week's message is going to be about, this topic, generally about this topic. But I wanted to include it here as a goal for 2023. If we, as a church, do not begin to be serious about love, about pursuing love, and loving not only our brothers and sisters, but our enemies, then we're going to find ourselves in a poor state of mind, an unprepared to go forward in an increasingly hostile culture. Take your stand. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure going to. But do it in love. Last, let us commit to pursue godliness. And you might be thinking, that, wait, isn't the point that Jesus' godliness rather than our own, it's ours rather than our own? Yes, but in our understanding of what Jesus has done for us, we gladly follow his commands and obey, and we're called to holiness. Be ye holy as I am holy. Old Testament, New Testament, it's everywhere. 1 Timothy 4, 7 says to train yourself for godliness, I love the way the New American Standard puts it. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Remember, decisions don't change your life. They change your direction. Discipline changes your life. You might be tempted to think that a commitment to a daily quiet time or reading through the Bible or a prayer list is legalistic. You might prefer to, 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 to do this out of a love for the Lord. It's going to be my love that motivates me. But I have discovered that when I am committed to certain spiritual disciplines, I'm much closer to God and I'm much more in line with who he wants me to be. And I find out that when I'm waiting for love to motivate me, I ain't got much love. <laughs> you know, I'm just not motivated to do the things that I ought to do. I think this is Paul's point when he says that because Christ has made me his own, I will strain every part of my being to win the prize of hearing, well done, good and faithful servant. Do we arrive because of our fleshly efforts? No, we strive to please him. Because of what Jesus has done to us. And one of the ways that we please the Lord, one of the ways that we grow as brothers and sisters in Christ toward one another and surely to the Lord is to obey his command to gather 
the table, at this table. And it's a good time to ask this question. When we participate in the Lord's Supper, is this something we are doing for him? Or is this something he does for us? Yes is the answer. It's both. But if we think, ah, done my duty, done my thing, supposed to do it, good Christians do that. And we miss the point that as we partake, we are bonded to the Lord and to one another in a way that he has designed to be incredibly special for us together. So, that's why on the first and third Sundays of every month, we participate in the Lord's table where we proclaim the Lord's sacrifice on the cross for our sins. And we do so as we anticipate his return. Until he returns, 1 Corinthians 11 says. And so we're thinking backwards, we're in the present, we're in the moment, and we're thinking to the future. And why is it we're not called to remember the resurrection or the incarnation or all those other things? I, I, this is the center of everything that God has done for us. It's the center of his plan. It's the center of his design, the cross. That's where Jesus was most glorified when God the Father poured out his wrath on him for our sins. And so as we come today... We come not only in, in obedience, we come in anticipation. And we come with gratitude. As the servers and worship team come forward, I'm going to give a few little instructions, uh, little information and some instructions, and then we'll get back to God's word in Mark chapter 14. First of all, you should know that the bread is gluten-free. So if you have allergies, if you have any issues with gluten, you don't have to worry about that. Second, we will be serving from the front today. So you're going to come forward. There'll be an elder or deacon in front of each station uh, or in front of each uh, section, so there will be a station there. So you come to that station that is in front of your section. Once you receive the elements, please go back to your seats. We'll be coming down the interior aisles. We'll go back up the middle and on the outer ends. The ushers will help you with that. And if you're unable to go forward, come forward. There will be an usher in the back who will serve you. This meal is intended for believers. So if you've trusted Christ, please, if your hope is in Jesus, not in your good works, not in yourself, then join us with this meal. If you have not trusted Christ, then just imagine and consider the great things that the Lord has done for those who believe that he died for them. And perhaps you would like to state your confession of faith today by partaking of this meal together with us. Our text from this, for this morning comes from Mark chapter 14. As they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it. And he gave it to them saying, take, this is my body. 
today is the first day of the year. We're full of anticipation. This was hours before he was arrested. Luke tells us that he eagerly looked forward to that time. He said, I've been eagerly looking forward to this. He took a cup and he said, take, this is my body. The only reason that we can be right with God is because Jesus also took the cup. When he had given thanks, he gave it to them and said, they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. The old covenant, covenant of works, of law, do this and you will live. But even then, people believe God's promises and that's what made them righteous. God declared them righteous because of their belief. New covenant, Jesus said, you can't do it, so I'm going to do it in your place. You, I'm going to die in your place. Take the punishment for you. And this gospel message is not, it's simple, but it is far from simplistic. It is profound at the deepest levels. And we are called to remember over and over. And as we embrace and imbibe and, and receive and contemplate the gospel of Christ, we're changed. We're changed into better people, into more godly men and women, boys and girls. We are told that this is a serious time and that we should not take it lightly and that we should indeed consider where our relationship with the Lord stands. Not, it's not that you've been perfect this week. I hadn't sinned since the last communion, so I think I'm good. No, we've all sinned. We sin every day. So take this time and confess, but do not. Let sins, even struggles that are ongoing for you, keep you from this table. There is help at this table because Jesus has forgiven you because of his sacrifice. That's the gospel. Come and join with us in this meal as Jesus meets with us this morning at his table. If you would, let's pray for a moment. Silently, if you would, just confess whatever sins you need to before the Lord. And I'll close with a prayer of confession, and we will serve the elements. Father, we confess that we are sinners. We also confess our belief and trust that Jesus died for us. As Jesus told Peter, you don't need for your body to be washed, but the feet need to be washed. We confess those sins, Lord, 
that trouble us or the ones that we don't even think about. We confess that we have sinned in thought, in word, in deed. That we have done things we ought not to have done. And that we have left undone things that needed to be done. We thank you that we are forgiven in Christ. We thank you for the newness of life that Ricky read about at the very beginning of this service from 2 Corinthians 5. We thank you for this time where we remember what Jesus did for us. And according to 1 Corinthians 10, in language that we don't understand, we participate with the body and blood of Christ. Not that Christ is being sacrificed anew. He died once for sins and sat down at the right hand of God. In this mystery of our participation, we yield ourselves to you. In faith, we partake. In the name of Christ our Savior, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.